You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Ted Drattel, and he is founder and CEO of the A-Team. And the A-Team is uh, outsource fractional accounting services. They also provide technical solutions, and they help with recruiting on the accounting side. Um, we're going to learn a little bit more about Ted and his entrepreneurial journey. We're going to find out about how he helps companies with scaling and making sure that they get the finances and the technology right inside their companies, really driving efficiencies. With that, Ted, welcome to the program. Thank you. How are you, Bruce? I am excellent. So why don't we start a little bit with your background? Because I, I suspect that you've always been kind of an entrepreneur in different ways. But why don't we find out how you uh, kind of your professional background, your entrepreneurial journey, and then we can talk about the A-team and, and what you're doing now. Sure, sure. So I'm a, a CPA by uh, training. Um, I worked in public accounting for a couple of years and realized pretty quickly I didn't like public accounting. And what I didn't like about it was... I realized I like the internal workings of a business uh-huh. and the strategy and how to how to help companies become more profitable. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I did it before starting this business as a as a CFO, you know, for a number of different businesses in a number of different industries. Yeah, yeah. And what were your learnings? What were the inefficiencies that you saw that um, really was driving uh, you know the issues in most companies? Lack of using technology properly, kind of doing it the same old way because that's how they always did it. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in those days, those were usually the biggest things. You, you know, when computers first came out, they tended to be very expensive. So people shared computers. And it was just, it was very different than, than it is right now. And over time, as, as technology got more and more inexpensive, the, the ability to harness it and use it and become more efficient really, I think, changed and, and drove a lot of companies' growth and profitability. Yeah, yeah. And and so tell us about the A team. When did when did you um, put the put that company together? What was it like to found it? What was the motivating factor? Sure. So I started it in two thousand and one, and originally my concept was it, it would be me, and it would just have a bunch of part time CFO clients. I really never envisioned. Having you know twenty five employees, I never envisioned uh, you know having an office and having my role <laughs> change where yeah. I'm really running running the business and driving the business rather than doing the work. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, know, you know, I have my staff who are fantastic. You know, that are there to do the work. Yeah, and and how was that? I mean, I think that it's a story I hear a lot of of people essentially starting a company as a way to kind of organize the clients and the work that they're doing, um, you know, as a kind of a solopreneur model, and then things start to shift and they get more clients and they start hiring some people. 
So what was that like for you? Was that, was that a hard process? Was it a natural, smooth process? When, when did you start to bring on people and, and how did that feel? It was in year, year, I forget if it was two or three, and I started to hire people. And it was more because I just got handed some work. Yeah. That was kind of easy to do, easy to staff. And it was with people that I knew that I trusted, that I knew there wouldn't be a payment issue. So it kind of just evolved almost by osmosis. And it was just a natural transition. It was not, at that time, it was not scary or anything like that. But my model also was very different. You know, all the workers were variable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't have to worry about benefits and keeping them busy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And, and now it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, so tell us where you are now with that. Yeah, so I've got mostly full-time salary people that get, get benefits. Um, you know, they want training. They want to learn. They want to grow. and you know, it's a, it's a, I won't say it's a juggling game. It's it's more just the, the need to satisfy the clients as well as the need to satisfy the employees. Because the bottom line is the, the employees are so important. Yeah. We wouldn't be where we are without them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what, um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, what your calculus was in terms of the decision to go to full-time employees? I mean, were you doing, you know, ROI analysis and return on investment and minimal billability levels and stuff? Or was it more kind of gut and instinctual and more about kind of culture? What was what was that process like for you? It, it was two things. One, it was about quality. I, I felt mm. that when I used people from, quote unquote, the bench or people that had other careers that were doing, doing the work during the day and then doing something else at night, mm-hmm. um, it, it just didn't work because the clients at times came second and, and, and it, I, I felt it was a kind of a losing model. Yeah. So I, so, so I, I changed that. And secondly, one of the things that really helped me along the way too, is I joined entrepreneurs organization and just having successful people around me yeah. in my forum and it, people to bounce ideas off people that have done it before just helped tremendously. Yeah, that's, that's a big one. And, I, and whether it's, you know, EO, the entrepreneurs organization or, or other kind of CEO executive groups um, that kind of shift from be, being being so focused on your company and kind of running your company that you don't have kind of that bigger perspective. I mean, I guess what else happened for you when you when you started you know, spending time with folks uh, that were in your situation or, you know, struggling with the same things, like what, what was the shift in thinking for you or, or the perspective that you got by spending some time with, with folks in those situations? Sure. So, so I, I would say the most profound thing that I learned along the way that really adjusted my thinking and adjusted the way I did business was, you know, hearing some different speakers about culture and the need for culture. Yeah. Whereas maybe my, when I was an employee, my need for certain things wasn't that great. Yeah, um, doesn't mean that others don't have that need. And oh, yeah. it's just like it's just <laughs> not not, er, not everyone is like you. <laughs> yeah, and it, it just it meant so much to me that oh my god, you know, people want to be trained, they want to be heard. It's not about money; they want to be thanked. They they want you to be grateful. Yeah, and you know what? I I learned it and yeah. I worked at it. Yeah. What, and, and what, um, I'm curious what kind of strategies you've tried or, or what, what, um, how, I guess how you changed or what you did to start incorporating some of those facets into the, you know, culture and to the relationship with employees. 
We do monthly trainings. Management team does a weekly phone call with um, direct reports. I have either weekly or biweekly meetings. We have uh, periodic uh, firm events. You know, we have a summer party, a holiday party. You know, things that people look forward to. We have a monthly lunch. Um, I mean, it's just like little things, but people appreciate it. We have somebody that's in charge of our office. Uh, that's, this is relatively new. Mm-hmm. And Angela's uh, decorating the office and just, you know, just little things, just keeping things looking good yeah. and putting them a bulletin board. And, you know, we did a, a NCAA pool for the first time this year. <laughs> nice. How do you do? <laughs> that sounds stupid, but people really loved it. They had a really good time with it. Yeah. And I think you're right. It can feel like small things or it can feel like, you know, almost trivial things. But, you know, the fact is, is that, you know, our day-to-day experience of our work environment is is a collection of small things, right? So if you start getting the small things right, it, it adds up and it builds up to great experience. Yeah, yeah. Like another thing we did was like an online suggestion box. It's, you know, totally, you have no idea who, who mm-hmm. wrote what. Mm-hmm. And some of the ideas have been fantastic. Some of them are doable eventually, not doable now, and some of them start doable. Yeah. So what are any good examples of things that have come in through through people that you hadn't thought of that have that have worked out really well? Um, having healthy snacks yeah. is one of them. So we, we've been doing that. Yeah. Um, the monthly lunches came out of that. You know, more, more frequent training came out of that. Yeah. What kind of training? I'm curious what, what training – uh, you've you've been doing what has been successful? Is this you know very skill specific or is this more general? What's worked at the moment? They're skill specific. Okay, so it's about um, becoming becoming QuickBooks certified, becoming certified in other applications that'll work with the software that that we work with, which the QuickBooks or Sage Intact, mm-hmm. and you know people are working at it. We, we have a grant from New York City. You know, hopefully, people are really learning stuff out of it. Yeah. No. I mean, they're, they're putting the time in, so hopefully they're they're learning at it. I guess what's your definition of success on that in terms of you know spending you know taking the time and money and energy to put together this training? Are you looking for you know specific returns, or is this more sort of general satisfaction with employment satisfaction? What are the I guess do you have specific metrics you're looking at? What are, what is what does success look like for you on this? One? We, we don't have we don't have specific metrics, but it's more about when you encounter a piece of software yeah. that you maybe haven't used before, but you've been trained on it and just knowing what to do, not being afraid of it and just jumping in and doing it. I mean, we have some people that are just natural with it. Yeah. It's not an issue. And we have others that are a little bit more tentative mm-hmm. and that training gives them the confidence to, to handle things for the first and second time with, with without a hitch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in terms of, Talent and and finding folks, you know, service based businesses, you know, well, every, every company, every every business, talent is an issue, and and talent is strategic. But I think for service based businesses, it's it's even more so, doubly so. I guess how have you approached kind of the process of finding talent, recruiting? What does this look like? I know I know for you know accounting services in general, you know, it's a pretty tough market. But I'd be curious to see you know based on who you're trying to retain, who you're trying to recruit. What, what is the market like for you and, and what's your strategy been? Sure. So, A, we have an in-house recruiter. So, uh, Joan Morelli's worked with us for a number of years. So, she she's on our team. She knows our she knows our culture. She knows what we're looking for. Um, a, we're always recruiting when we don't, whether we need somebody or not. We're mm. always working at it. Yeah. So, it's a combination of very active recruiting where we're going in LinkedIn. We're targeting people with certain skill sets uh, at certain companies. 
and just always working at it. So that's part of it. Second, we have a, a relationship with Baruch and a good portion of our employees come from there. Yep. And we really worked hard to nurture that relationship and, it, and it's paying off. Yeah. How did you uh, get that? I'm curious. I mean, in terms of th- this idea of you know, partnering or developing a relationship with the university, you know, educational institution to, you know, recruit or to, you know, have as an inbound kind of candidate source. How did that come about? Was it something you strategically went out and did? Did it develop from another relationship? What was that? It's actually interesting. So we always like students from there or yeah. graduates from there is a better term. Maybe we think their program is absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. And we used to call them at their alumni department and we couldn't get arrested, they would just say post it online. <laughs> yeah. And whoop de doo. So about two years ago we were having dinner with my wife's cousin who's the dean there. Mm-hmm. And she told us who to speak to and how to, you know, make that relationship work. And we followed it and it's worked. Yeah. You know, we endow a couple of scholarships there and just those students fit our profile. And so, so that's one part of what we do. The other thing that we look for are what we call public accounting refugees. So those are, <laughs> like those are, those are people that have worked in public accounting yeah. and they don't want to work seven days a week, you know, 60 hours a week. Yeah. And, and they want a lifestyle and they, they, they're bright and they just want balance. And that's what we offer. Yeah. And there's a lot of people out there that like that. Yeah. Yeah. What else do you do? I mean, in terms of differentiating yourself from, you know, that sort of the public accounting firm or other firms like yours. I mean, what's your, do you have particular attributes or strategies or things that you emphasize to help recruit? Sure. One of the things that we do that makes us different than most of our clients is we we do the bulk of our work on site at the client. Whereas most of our competitors actually just do it remotely. So those workers could be anywhere. Yeah. There's plenty of companies here that want somebody to come on site and they want to touch and feel them. And from my standpoint, I think we do a better job when we're actually at the client site because you can communicate and you have a question, you can get it answered right then and there rather than wasting time back and forth on email. And also you learn a lot by listening. So where that translates into recruiting is for those that don't want to go to the same desk every day and do kind of the same thing. So people that like variability in their work life, this job really, it offers that. And frankly, that's how I got into it. I didn't Mm. like going to the same job every day and doing the same thing every day. Yeah. Do you find that you get candidates that, or even people that you've hired that actually become not a liability, but you know, undesirable characteristic and that you realize that they can have great skills. They can be the best accountants in the world, but they actually don't like that model. And that's been a problem. I mean, there are, we do have staff that do stay in the office okay, and that they, they work on remote clients, but generally most of the people have a combination of the two. Yeah. So somebody that wants to sit in the same desk every day, that generally probably doesn't work. And yeah. well, we would explain that up front. And again, if that's what they want, then most of the time we wouldn't hire that person. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly, I came out of technology and similar model. We were putting most of our folks who were sitting on site. And we also, we did something called pair programming, which means that all of our developers worked side by side at one computer. And we found that by actually including a a work day, so we'd have our candidates come in and actually work a day with us. We actually filtered out a lot of folks who, you know, were great technologists, but, you know, once they sat 
you know, next to somebody for a couple hours and try to work with them on the computer. If that was not the way they liked working, it was very clear very quickly. And it helped, you know, make sure we didn't have any mishires <laughs> in, right. that, in that sense. So I'm curious on the strategy side. So as you've kind of refined your offering and this idea that you're, you're going on site for the most part, how has that kind of helped you in terms of identifying your target customer, your core customer, and the sales process? And like, how do you find your clients? And how do you make sure you find you know, the best clients that fit well with you? Sure. So I mean, A, we've been doing it for 18 years. So we are fairly well known out in the marketplace amongst the accounting firms. Mm-hmm. So we do get a lot of referrals from accounting firms. And also we get a lot of referrals from our clients. So just by going and doing a good job, it leads to, to other business. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of how do you actually structure your engagements? Is it hourly work? Are you doing packages? Are you doing by amount of time? What's your engagement model? Most of it's hourly. On a larger engagement, we might do like a monthly retainer and then above a certain amount. Above that retainer, we'll charge a percentage above it. Got it. In terms of the types of companies, any particular industries that you've ended up kind of focusing on or you've realized need your services you know, more so than others? Definitely have a lot of kind of professional service type clients, whether it's law firms, PR, marketing, engineering, architecture, because they're like, for instance, the billing is usually very detailed and there's just no way you could do that typically remotely. You've got to be there to interact with the staff. But we also have a lot of healthcare. We have apparel. I'm just trying to think technology company. <laughs> I can see you going through your client list. <laughs> yeah, it's really all over the board because that's what New York is. I mean, yeah. unless, it's, unless it's industry with a nuance, we do it. And, yeah. and again, we have so many people at this point. If there is a business with a nuance, we've got somebody that knows it. Yeah, most likely. Most likely. In terms of your kind of staffing strategy and how you, I used to call it the game of chess, like who do I put on what account and how do I move people around? How do you organize your your team with your clients and figuring out how you're going to deploy your team against those? Oh boy, we work at that every day. <laughs> you know, one of the things that we do is we overhire. We always okay. want to have extra staff. I and mean, if somebody has a project for us, you know, an existing client, we don't ever want to say no yeah. that we can't handle it. So that's one thing we do. Mm-hmm. And we really try to match up the skill set and the personality to the client. And that's very important. And what goes into that? Like, what are you looking for in terms of a personality for, quote unquote, personality of the client and the personality of your team member? Well, it's you know, the culture. So we got to be able to fit in the culture. We had instances where we had a very, very young culture at a client. And we would have conversations with the person that is bringing us in about the ideal fit. Is it somebody younger? Is it somebody older? And we will have that conversation. So, you know, we want to be able to pick from our team somebody that's going to win there. Yeah. And in terms of clients, so if I'm a company and I'm trying to figure out how to make sure that I've got the right sort of accounting services, the right accounting advice, you know, technology, the staffing, how do I make the decision between kind of hiring a full-time person internally, you know, using, you know, a fractional service like yours, or use pure outsource. I mean, I guess what are my options and what are the criteria that I use to decide between these options? Well, I mean, it's actually a good question because yeah, A, a company that's hiring, let's say a bookkeeper, mm-hmm. most of the time they don't have the ability to assess whether that person 
yeah. is a good bookkeeper. Now, if, if in fact the workload is a five day or many days a week workload, obviously the dollars don't work to hire us. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Got it. Yeah. So they should enlist help with, with finding somebody. But for us, we're not necessarily cheap, cheaper. Many times we'll be less expensive because we're more efficient. We have people that just have a multitude of skills. But also, we work at it as a team. So the beautiful thing is if somebody has a question, they don't know how to do something, there's a lot of people that they can ask as to how to handle it, number one. And number two is because of our technology slant on things, we're always looking for faster ways to do things. Yeah. And so t- tell me about the technology. What are some of the technologies that you've investigated, adopted, you know, you incorporated into your business over time and how have you made those decisions? Sure. I mean, so we use apps that work with the existing platforms, uh, QuickBooks and, and Sage Intact. So it could be Bill.com, it could be Expensify, T-Sheets. I mean, there's a ho- host of them. Avalara, which is a sales tax program. So we're always looking for the kind of the best-in-class app that'll work for our clients. It'll be cost-efficient, time-efficient and cost-efficient. But if it's time-efficient, it's going to be cost-efficient because we're going to be able to do the work a lot faster. Yeah, yeah. And what has been some of the, I guess, have you had challenges with getting up to speed on some of those apps or the technologies or getting them in place to the client? I mean, what's the, how do you kind of balance the, kind of the future benefits or the ultimate benefits of these new technologies versus the cost of implementing and training and integrating these things? What does that calculus look like? You know, for instance, let's say you look at timesheets. So many companies still do timesheets in Excel and just getting your employees to fill that out all the time, it can be challenging. And listen, for many years, that's how we did it too. Mm. And we adopted a online program and you know what? People keep the time, most of the time contemporaneously, but they're a lot more accurate. So that's really where a lot of times the savings is. Because when you write it down way after the fact, especially sometimes we're working on multiple clients on the same day, yeah, it's not so easy to be accurate. Yeah, I always found that time capturing time, tracking time is difficult and the source of a lot of frustration. <laughs> it was like a, that was always a complaint, always a thing that we would you know struggle with in terms of collecting time. But it was hard because you couldn't bill. I mean, if, if it's hourly based, you wouldn't be able yeah, to bill. Absolutely, but it's a lot more efficient. So, so now, for instance, so we're downloading from the timesheet program into our QuickBooks program. We don't have to re-enter it. Nothing. Yeah. It just downloads in and you bill it when it's time to bill. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the common kind of issues or challenges or things that you end up working on with your clients in terms of, you know, helping them make sure that not just that their kind of books are up to date, but that they're using, you know, using their book and the financial information they have to build a better business, be more efficient, be more strategic. What are the, some of the challenges you see or, or things you help with people with? I think a lot of it's really just kind of a lack of education about under, a, understanding what the numbers are telling you. Mm. And I'll give you a, for instance, so many people manage their business by what their bank balance is rather than looking at financial statements. (laughs) We try to educate our clients. So let's say for tax purposes, there are cash basis taxpayer. But we're trying to teach them how to look at the books on an accrual basis because that's really what's telling them whether or not they're making money. I mean, just because they haven't paid a bill and it generated a false profit doesn't mean they're profitable. Yeah, exactly. I think that's always a challenge for most business owners is 
is really understanding the difference between the cash flow, where, where their cash position is versus their real kind of functional profitability. And I guess what kind of things do companies need to do to make sure that they have that have that data available, that they can actually use that to make meaningful business decisions? I would say a couple of things. One is just to be willing to sit down and be committed to a, a, a once a month meeting and talk about it and walk through the numbers and understand it. Number one. Number two is goal setting and creating a budget or a roadmap so you can determine if you need to cut spending at some point because your revenue's down or can you increase spending? Can you hire somebody? You know, otherwise you're just flying blind. Yeah. Yeah. Making sure that you kind of have the data in the right way that based on the decisions you're trying to make, I think that makes sense. So I'm kind of curious for you as a CEO, as a founder and a CEO, you've made sort of, as you kind of laid out in the beginning in terms of the history of the business, you know, that you were doing the work in the beginning, now you're not doing the work. I guess what have been the challenges around that? Have you, what adjustments, either, you know, kind of mindset shifts or practical adjustments have you had to make as you've kind of moved or as a company has grown and kind of the role, your role as founder and CEO has shifted? You know, tell us a little bit about that for how that's played out for you personally. I mean, the things that I love to do day to day is I love you know, meeting our clients. I love meeting our prospects, seeing how we can help them. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to always make sure I have enough time to do that. And sometimes I don't, you know, we've definitely added middle management now and it's it's made a big difference that they take care of more of the day to day and I don't have to worry about it and I don't have to be in the loop on everything. Yeah. But again, that's a mind shift that takes a little while and it's not a trust thing. It's more kind of fighting your instinct. Yeah. I guess, how do you stay or how do you continue to feel like you kind of know what's going on? Because I think there's a challenge for a lot of folks as the business grows is, you know, they're now kind of more removed from the day-to-day, from the work, from the customers. What do you do to make sure you feel like you still have a good understanding of what's actually happening in the business? We track a lot of metrics. We really track our potential new business and we track the percent, our closure rate. We track with where the business comes from. So therefore, we're spending our time in the right places. And as a number person, I'm still, my, my nose is still in the books. I am paying attention <laughs> to what's going on. Yeah. I mean, the good thing is I'm trained in it, so I can look at it pretty quickly yeah. and just know what's going on. I'm curious, like, what is there, do you do like, you know, once a week or a month a month, you kind of dig into an account or what's the amount of time that gives you enough sense that doesn't overwhelm you that also doesn't make your people feel like you're micromanaging? I mean, how do you kind of balance those things? You know, I'm probably spending a couple of hours a week looking at different things, whether it's profitabilities of client or mm-hmm. staff. I'm slowly you know, turning that analysis work over to others so I don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. But I think mine is more on a higher global strategic level rather than just day-to-day. I don't want to use that information to micromanage you know, somebody on the team, I'd rather use that information more from a strategic standpoint. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And um, you know, thinking through your goals and future of the company, what's, where do you want to be in a couple of years? Have you thought about you know, what the company looks like, what kind of services you want to be offering, geographies? What are your goals and ambitions? Sure, I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's another great question. So we hired a coach a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And really made a big impact there about just kind of thinking big and creating plans to, to achieve those goals, as well as 
kind of creating the infrastructure to support a larger business. Yeah. Um, so we're actively working at that. Um, so, so I think it was in December we had our management team uh, meeting, which was goal setting for 2019. Mm-hmm. And I mean, my initial goal was to grow 20%, which to me is fairly ambitious. Mm-hmm. And so before the meeting, I, I, I had a um, call with our coach, Dave Sobel, yeah. and he, he said, why 20%? Why, why does that be that number? <laughs> Classic coach question. Yeah. 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 Well, he, he goes, I really think you should give some consideration to making that number being 50% and let's figure out how to do it. Yeah. So the next week we have our, our, our management meeting and we're, we're trying to come up with our three top goals for the year. And so the first one is, okay, what's our revenue goal? And it was amazing. One of our guys blurts out, we should, we should aim to grow 50%. So that's, so that's our, <laughs> our, our goal. It was I a plant. It was a plant. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't believe they were in cahoots, but that's what we're working towards, you know, between marketing and between uh, business development and just kind of keeping our eye on the ball. Listen, do I, do I, if you ask me today, do I think we're going to get there? No, but I think we're going to come pretty damn close. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's always uh, the thing with goals. It's like, I'd rather, I'd rather make 90% of a really outrageous goal, you know, than, than meet a goal that was kind of anemic. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the thing I like about the growth strategy to me, it's much easier to run a growing business than it is to run a, a stagnant business or one that's kind of limping along. Yeah. I find it a lot more exciting. I find it more challenging. Yeah. And it really keeps my, my brain, um, in use. Yeah. I mean, my partner's Dominic Bensavanga is totally in sync with it. Yeah. And we're, we're looking at to, to build a business. Awesome. And what, any thoughts or advice that you'd give to, you know, other, other founder CEOs in service-based companies that are, you know, kind of thinking about, you know, the growth process or, or, of, you know, kind of managing their growth or thinking about how to grow. What, what, what would you suggest they think about or do or ponder? I would say probably the keys to success are one, have a coach because <laughs> they're, they're going to know stuff that you don't. And also they're going to push you out of your comfort zone yeah. and they're going to have relationships at times that you don't have yeah. to, to culture. Culture is so important. Yeah. And you know, not in, until I started really paying attention to it, I, I didn't get it. But one, once we really worked at it, it really made a huge difference. And then I think the third thing is be willing to share with your with your team. Um, you know, if you want great benefits, you got to give great benefits. Yeah. And uh, some sometimes I, I see a mindset where it's what's in it for the owner and not what's what's in it for the for the team. Yeah. Yeah. No. Good points. Um, Ted, if people want to find out more about you, about the A team, what's the best place to get that information? Uh, well, our website is www.18consulting.com. My phone is always on, so uh, 646-783-1940. I love it. I love it. I'll make sure that uh, that information is in the show notes so people can, can get to it. Ted, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you, Bruce. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. 
To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.